Thank you for downloading the UWR Alumni Voices podcast. I'm your host, Josh Van Camp, and this is part of our International Grad Series where we're speaking to graduates all over the world who are making an impact in their community and also giving some insight into what it takes to, to live there. And if any recent graduates or current students are returning home or looking to work into that region, we're talking with some grads to, to see what it's like. And we're going into live into New Delhi, India with uh, P. Venkatesh. And Venkatesh, thank you so much for giving up your time today. And I'd love for you just to share with the audience what you're currently doing there in India. Yeah, Josh, thank you so much. I think I'm really delighted to be on this podcast with you. And for me, it's a great privilege to again be in touch with the UW alumni and the grad community. And through this podcast, I'm really looking forward to sharing uh, what are the opportunities in India for people who want to work here. And just a bit about me, uh, I've been a communications professional for a long, long time. And I have worked with nonprofit private sector organizations. And I came to UWA at a point where I really wanted to pivot to becoming a tri-sector professional and really wanted to uh, work uh, in this new era where people from public, private, and nonprofit sectors create projects together. So after UWA, I happened to do another master's in public policy, which really helped me understand the global policy scenario. And here I am back in India. I am working on a couple of projects. One is an entrepreneurial project. And my main theme is currently I'm working as an executive coach and I'm helping uh, graduates, young executives and students to understand understand the education and career pathways. And very soon I'll be coming up with my own book. Uh, this book would be on a leadership topic. And I hope to share it with the UW community soon. So looking forward to this podcast. Looking forward to seeing what the book is. And also, you're also a TEDx speaker as well. Yeah, I happened to, uh, that was a great, interesting opportunity, which came up when I was in UWA. Uh, I happened to be part of the inaugural TEDx UWA uh, event. And I, I shared about my, how important culture and storytelling is to understand about an organization or to understand about a country. Um, and then I happened to do another TEDx uh, talk in Singapore, where I shared about smart and sustainable cities and how smart and sustainable cities should involve listening to the viewpoints of people from all layers of society, not just people who are on the, the higher layers of society. So it's, it has to be an inclusive uh, growth of cities, more of a bottoms up rather than top down uh, view and vision of how cities need to develop in the future. Yeah, an interesting point there where you're saying it needs to be bottom up, not top down. Is that kind of what you teach as an executive coach? I think my role of, as an executive coach is to help bring the creative potential of the person I'm with. So unlike mentoring, which involves telling someone what to do, what not to do, coaching is a non-prescriptive process where you don't tell people what to do, but you take them through a process where you help them understand what are their strengths, what are the areas they need to work upon, and you help the person in front of you you see them as whole and complete individuals capable of solving their own problems in life. And you help them tap into that inner creativity so that they are empowered to solve their own problems. Oh, wonderful. Now let's get straight into the questions because 
know, we, we developed this podcast for current students and, and graduates who are looking to, to work overseas and they want to work in India. What do they need to know first? I think if you want to work in India, you need to understand the, uh, the macro environment uh, of India. By micro environment, I mean you need to understand what is the policy scenario happening in India. You need to understand what is the business scenario happening in India. So get an overall picture of how the economy of the country is doing. What are, what are the foreign investments which are coming into India? What is India exporting to the world? And again, at the, at the sector level or industry level, for example, if you want to work in a private sector or the, the nonprofit sector, understand what are the latest developments and trends happening in that sector. And if you zoom in further, if you want to work with a very niche field or niche area, you understand what are the trends and scenarios and who are the players in those areas and what are the things they are doing currently. So get a overall a 360 degree sense of what's happening in India. And the best way to do is to, to subscribe to uh, the news feeds of the major newspapers or major television channels in India so that you can get current updates about what's happening in, in India. And also speak to a lot of people who have worked in India or a lot of people who, are, who have come from India so that they can fill you in with the day-to-day scenarios of what it, what it is like to live and work in India. Now, do they need a visa to work in India? And you know, what, what are the career options for someone working in India? Like, what are the different sectors that are, I guess, growing at a substantial rate at the moment? I think for a foreign graduate, uh, you do need to uh, get a working visa, which is not, which is definitely not required for somebody who has an Indian citizen. And if you happen to be a person of Indian origin, for example, while I was in Australia, I had a friend from India who who stayed in India, who stayed in Australia for like seven years. He became a uh, he became a citizen of Australia, but he still had an overseas uh, Indian visa, which means if your origin is from India, you are considered like as, as an overseas Indian, and then you are that makes you eligible to work in India. Uh, the only thing is you can't vote in India, but you can do rest of the things. So if you're an overseas Indian, there are a lot of opportunities. Uh, if you're a foreign graduate, you definitely need a visa. And looking at the career options, currently uh, we need to understand what what is happening in India. If you look at the broader picture, India has had a stable government for the last uh, six years. And the last two governments uh, have have really uh, stabilized the policy scenarios. So any businesses which are investing in India or even the domestic businesses, they have a very clear vision of what is a policy environment in which they need to operate. So the current government has this uh, has this uh, uh, saying that uh, maximum uh, governance and minimum government, which means the government's interference in the in the in the private sector has to be minimal. The government has to play an enabling role for the private sector, which has really helped in terms of this government has really brought out the reforms which were much needed in the private sector in the area of law. Uh, in the in different areas, if you want to set up a business in India, now it can be done within 10 to 12 days. Earlier, it used to take uh, 30 days. 
So this government is creating this favorable environment in which businesses can operate, which means that uh, any overseas uh, companies investing in India or even the domestic companies, they, they are quite happy about, they have a sense of predictability in terms of regulations, which means uh, the businesses can really look far ahead into the future. They can plan their, uh, their, their business goals for five years, 10 years, and they can hire people uh, to meet those goals. So uh, currently, if you look at India as an economy, uh, compared to other countries, uh, India has a very, very strong and growing middle class. And uh, this middle class has a purchasing power. So people are purchasing a lot. So which means there's a great potential for the e-commerce sector. Uh, second, we are looking at uh, India is currently, most of the India is on 3G, but now we are moving into 4G telecom. And now 5G telecom is uh, going to come up very soon. So in terms of... Uh, broadband and broadband connectivity, uh, you, you, you can see that few hundred million of Indians are currently online. And then you can look at the potential which India has to bring more and more of people uh, online. So in terms of bringing more people online, in terms of giving people access to high speed broadband, lots of work needs to be done. And that's where the potential is. So in terms of online businesses, uh, um, the, the sky's the limit. And with India and China being the top two markets in the world, uh, any graduate who wants to understand about uh, Asia, especially South Asia, need to definitely put India uh, on the top two of their list of countries they want to work in. And what about the not-for-profit sector? You touched on it a little bit before. Yeah. So... I have been part of uh, a UNDP project where we went to communities and uh, we really uh, helped them bring, because a lot of these communities, they, they, uh, they don't understand uh, the content. What, for example, the project I was working on, uh, it required making people aware about their legal rights. And most of the content on legal rights was in the national language, which is Hindi and also the official language, English. But much of these and most of the people living in these communities did not, were not very well conversant with these languages. So one of our major challenges was how to bring this content available in, in the local languages. And if you look at India as a, as a country, every state is linguistically different from the other state. Within each state, uh, for the same language, there are multiple dialects. So it's, it's quite, I mean, if you, if you move like 100 kilometers, you would find people speaking a different languages. Uh, so for the country to grow, it is important that most of the information which is available for people, mostly related to their understanding of what laws apply to them, what are their legal rights, what are their duties, those need to be converted into their own language. So personalization is very important. So that's where I feel there's a great opportunity for any nonprofit who can really personalize information uh, according to people's needs. And recently we have seen a surge in a lot of microcredit organizations who are really helping uh, village level entrepreneurs to get access to those funds 
where they can start their own businesses. And uh, we are seeing in the farm sector, a lot of innovation. Uh, India is still an agrarian economy. We are still dependent on agriculture. Large parts of the uh, country, they are still uh, in the agricultural economy. So a lot of innovation needs to happen where people from these, uh, the agriculture sector can be, can be connected to the mainstream through uh, private sector coming in, in terms of innovation, in terms of capital, in terms of access to knowledge. And then we, we need to, uh, that, that's, that's what I'm really excited about is how can we create a new kind of environment where uh, the private sector, the public sector, and the nonprofit sector can come together and sit in a room across a table and talk face to face as to what are the challenges being faced at the ground level and how these three sectors can synergize their resources, synergize their information and knowledge base, and synergize their capital, uh, human capital as well as the financial capital to really make a difference to the end person who's at the really end at the, at the bottom of the pyramid. And I'm really fortunate that while I was in UW, I had access to the center for social impact and I took a lot, I had taken a lot of uh, courses with uh, center for social impact. And it really helped me understand the innovations which are happening in the, in the community sector in the nonprofit sector uh, in Perth and Western Australia. And that has helped me understand a lot of these innovations which can be cross-pollinated and applied to the nonprofit sector in India. Now, I want to touch on the recruitment side of stuff because I think you made a really good point where each state has a different dialect. So, you know, someone might have this dream or desire to, to work in India, but they need to do their research in regards to, I guess, where they want to work. But is it easier to be recruited if you're already living there rather than just being a, you know, a graduate living so in a different country, hoping to move to India? Uh, I think this, this question is, I think, equally applicable to any country. I think it recruiters prefer uh, somebody whom they can meet, whom they can uh, have a face-to-face -face conversation with. And usually uh, nowadays, any recruitment process requires multiple stages of interview. And uh, so it's, it's always uh, good to be there in that city, not only in the country, but it's good to be there in the city where the job is. Um, how I see it is, uh, it's important to know what does a foreign graduate bring uh, for any job opening? It's important to know that what value would a foreign graduate uh, bring to that job versus uh, uh, a graduate who's domestic or who's, uh, who's, who's, who's studied in India. So I see that there are certain sectors which are, uh, which are more export oriented where, for example, if, uh, if there are businesses which are working uh, uh, in the interface of India and Australia, there are things being exported from India to Australia or from Australia to in imported from Australia to India. I think, uh, Australian graduates would uh, would have great value there. And I think recently Indian Australian trade has really picked up. Uh, India is one of the major trade partners of Australia. Uh, and not only that, Australia with its vibrant education sector requires a lot of people who understand the 
Australian education industry, and they can communicate that very clearly to uh, the the upcoming uh, Indian students or students who want to study in Australia. So I see there there might be a great demand for uh, uh, Australian graduates who can work in India and be brand ambassadors or representatives of Australian universities and they can help Indian students understand Australia a bit better, uh, how it is to live and work and study in Australia. So I see education sector is a great potential area for uh, Australian uh, graduates uh, from Australian universities to work in India. And I definitely see that if, if you happen to aspire to be a venture capitalist or you, if you work in a VC firm, uh, then India is a great place to be in because a lot of uh, VC firms are, are setting up their bases in India. They want to identify the future Indian unicorns they can invest in. So any, any graduate who, who, who lands up in a VC firm uh, would have great access to the entrepreneurial and startup sector in India. So I see the e-commerce sector, the education industry, and this in general, the VC and the entrepreneurial sector as good places for graduates to focus on. Now, what about recent graduates looking to work in India? Like, What are the biggest adjustments they must make after living in Perth? I think from my experience, uh, I've lived, I had lived in India all my life. Uh, Australia was the first country I visited outside of India when I came to study here. So definitely I received a culture shock and the culture shock what, wasn't... What was the biggest shock, culture shock you had? I think uh, just on a humorous side, I tend to speak and listen around uh, 30 to 40 words per minute. Uh, but a lot of Australians speak around 60 to 80 words per minute. So there is, so there is that gap or dissonance in which just to understand how how they speak and I mean just to understand that the word arvo means afternoon took me a long yeah. time <laughs> so, and recently I was uh, uh, I was listening to a video by Matthew Hayden who's who's like a legendary cricketer in India uh, in Australia and who has like uh, uh, who has even played in Chennai um, in, in South India. And he was sharing that uh, he lives in Queensland, uh, Brisbane. And there are so many colloquial terms that uh, sometimes people don't understand whether that person is speaking English or some other language. So, uh, I mean, I, I heard a beautiful word called Larkin. And I, <laughs> later on, I realized what it actually meant. Uh, so I think that's a beauty of living uh, in a new city, in a new country you get to understand the lingo of uh, a new lingo, what people, people use different terms to mean the same thing. And that's where the whole learning process is. And I would, I, I don't see it as a challenge, but more of an opportunity because uh, like, for example, when I was in Perth, I took a one day workshop uh, on the Noongar language. So the Noongar language is the language of the, the Aboriginal community uh, where the UWA is based. And uh, for me, that was, uh, I felt it was a great privilege to be able to 
learn that uh, that uh, that language which is really belongs to the first Australians. And what really deeply endeared me to UWA was that any event which happened, um, maybe a networking event or a conference or meeting, uh, the start of the meeting, every Australian paid respects to the Noongar community who were the traditional custodians of the land. And for me, that really uh, helped me understand how, how welcoming uh, the Australian society is, how multicultural the Australian society is, with uh, one in three uh, immigrants to Australia being Indian or Chinese. Uh, I can see that uh, Indian community has played a huge role in Australia, even Western Australia. Um, so I see the shock was more in terms of adjusting to the way things work there, maybe the transport system, the food access to Indian food. Uh, if if you are from India and you you are you are accustomed to a certain kind of food, then naturally you you like to look for places which can have a similar kind of food. But I I was very fortunate to be in Saint George's College, which is like uh, uh, like a home in a castle. It looked just <laughs> like Hogwarts, and there we had a brilliant community. And I'd, I did not miss uh, my Indian food at all. So I felt that when you visit Australia, people try to make you comfortable as quickly as possible. And uh, from the friends you meet, your colleagues, the lecturers, the dean of your, uh, of your faculty, I think everyone makes sure that uh, you quickly acclimatize yourself, you absorb yourself into the day-to-day -day life. Because at the end of the day, I mean, why is an Indian student there in Perth? It's for education, to experience the education, the quality education in Perth and UWA. Uh, so I think UWA is doing a fantastic job. And even after leaving UWA, I, I was in touch with a lot of uh, my friends and alumni and uh, graduates from UWA. And all of them had positive things to say about their, their life uh, in UWA. Now, before I haven't prepped you on this, but you're talking about the lingo. What's some of the lingo that people need to be aware of in New Delhi? I think New, De New Delhi is is very cosmopolitan. Uh, by cosmopolitan, I mean people from different uh, states and cities of India come and work uh, in New Delhi. And New Delhi is the power center. It is the capital of India. It is where all the government offices are. It is where the prime minister and the president of India have their offices. That's where they work from. The parliament of India is there. And New Delhi is a very historic city. It, it has a great history to it. Uh, there was a time when the, the Mughals, uh, they, they ruled India. So they built a lot of ancient monuments. And a lot of these ancient monuments are there in the city. And for somebody visiting New Delhi, they would, they would see it, it has two cities in one. There is an old Delhi. The old Delhi has the, the old rustic charm, the, the, the old beauty, the monuments, the architectures. Uh, and then there's a new Delhi, which is more modernized, which, is, uh, which, is, which has uh, the metro, the, the new Delhi metro, which, is, which has done immensely uh, it has contributed immensely to improve making people more mobile 
Um, then we have a, we have a, a CNG fleet. Most people do not know that uh, in New Delhi, the buses, the, uh, the public transport is completely on uh, CNG, which means it's a green fuel. So uh, there is no pollution. And New Delhi is now moving on to electric vehicles in terms of the, the government recently has uh, announced plans to introduce a fleet of electric buses, uh, which again would contribute to uh, improving the, the quality of air in New Delhi. Uh, but in terms of dialect, uh, the day-to-day -day lingo is uh, Hindi. And, uh, but if you, if you work uh, in a corporate or in a non-profit or even in the government sector, people, people are very well conversant with English. So people will be amazed that uh, you can stop somebody on the streets of New Delhi and talk to them in English and they would most probably understand you and they would be happy to help you. And what, so what happens if I said Arva or Mitch in the Arva in New Delhi, will they know what we're talking about? Yeah, that would put them in a fix and that would, <laughs> that would make them maybe stare at you for a while and wonder where are you from. Uh, but I think uh, I found like even, even for me coming back so the last five years before I came to uh, UWA, prior to that five years, I was in Chennai. So Chennai is a city which has two weathers, which is hot and hotter. <laughs> and uh, so compared to Chennai, the weather in Delhi is a bit better. It's not that hot. Uh, but if you happen to visit Chennai, uh, if an Australian in Chennai, you would, you would be even more surprised because people in Chennai, they speak their uh, communication skills in English are really, really good. So you can stop somebody on the streets of Chennai and they would really be happy to have a conversation with you. Probably they might even invite you to their house to have a coffee or tea, or if you like Indian cuisine, uh, you can have that as well. Beautiful. Now, what are the best ways to get settled in a new city? Now you lived in Perth, you kind of touched on some of the things there, but you know, how did you create your own networks, your friends in the new city? I think for me, um, coming to Perth was, uh, and, networking there. First of all, I was um, not at all uh, conversant with how to network. And what the UWA MBA did for me is that we had a brilliant workshop by uh, a lady called Louise. And she, she had this workshop on etiquette and networking skills. So we actually went to the UWA graduate club and we had a, a half day session on how to wine, how to dine, how to use your forks and spoons, and uh, then how to shake hands with someone. And if you shake hands with someone, how many pumps of hands you should give and how to make eye contact with someone. Uh, when you are in a networking scenario, uh, how to introduce yourself, how to speak to the people. And if you have to excuse yourself and move on to the next person, how to do that. So I think Perth is the place where I really learned uh, the fine art and the nuances of networking. And sometimes this kind of formal training is really important because uh, you get to understand from the trainer or the workshop uh, manager on what makes networking in that city tick. Because networking uh, 
can differ from country to country because the cultural uh, parameters from one city or one country would be different. What works in New Delhi is people bond a lot over food. Uh, people bond a lot over uh, spiritual activities. People uh, bond a lot over movies and cricket. And uh, people uh, bond a lot over volunteering. So for somebody who is uh, new to India, especially to Delhi, if they can find meetup groups, if they can find up uh, expat groups who are into these activities, it's better to join them. Uh, it's good to use LinkedIn and uh, find out who are the people in your sector uh, who are living in uh, New Delhi. You can find out who among the UWA alumni are living in Delhi and you can actually send them a request in advance and uh, have a meeting with them. So uh, apart from that, it's good uh, wherever you're living uh, good to connect with the, your neighbors because your neighbors will really help you understand what are the best places to eat, uh, how to use the public transport, uh, how to take care of paying your electricity bills or the mobile bills or the water bill. Uh, but in terms of overall, India is a very friendly society and we really welcome uh, foreign graduates or even foreign visitors and we really want to make them feel at home. Uh, but still, you have to take care of, uh, because you might be accustomed to living in a certain way uh, in your own country. So ensure that it's not a very drastic jump for you. For example, if you are accustomed to using sunscreen in Australia, then better to carry a lot of sunscreen with you in India, because uh, probably the Indian or the New Delhi sun might be even harsher on your skin. But for me, I mean, I've seen people in India and New Delhi, I've seen very rarely people use sunscreen and which was quite, uh, um, again, a shock for me when I found out that how, how health conscious people in Australia are, where even if you have to step out, uh, you train to liberally apply sunscreen, uh, over your face or your hands, which which I found really, uh, I mean, I, I found that that level of health consciousness is very, very healthy. And uh, I think if you are coming back to India, uh, ensure that you don't leave your health awareness when you uh, arrive in India. Uh, that's really good advice. Now, you kind of basically covered my last question was best ways to network on and offline there in India and you know, especially LinkedIn and connect with alumni is the best way. But um, if I, you could be going to give one, just one bit of advice to someone that's looking to, to live in India, what's the one piece of advice you would always give them? I think you have to be, uh, you have to be really open to what you're going to encounter. So for example, if you are in Australia, in Perth, you would know that there are systems in place for everything. There are systems in place for crossing the road. There are systems in place for, uh, for how the buses move. There are systems in place for overtaking. There are systems in place, uh, like if you're in a restaurant. So those systems exist in India too. But at the same time, there are people who not necessarily follow those systems. There are people who 
who, who are accustomed to doing things their own way. So it can be a bit of a culture shock if you're coming to India and you find that some systems are not working as they worked in Perth, which is not to say that the systems in each country are good or bad compared to others. It's just that that's how these systems have uh, evolved over the years. And there is a consistent effort, for example, by the government, by the local community to instill a lot of awareness among the people in India to become more uh, sensitive in how they drive, uh, in how they uh, do certain things on the public property in terms of how, what kind of etiquette uh, and behaviors to to show on the, uh, in terms of what etiquette and behavior to show in public. So if you come across uh, something which is, you find very different from how things are in Australia, then don't judge the country. Uh, understand that this country is still on the path of development, still on the path of uh, going to the next level. And uh, if you can keep an open mind and have your, and adapt to that new scenario, I think that will help you um, bring, that will help you develop your own muscle of how to live in different cultures or how to live in a new culture. That's wonderful advice, Mingus. That's great. Now, that's all the time we have, but how can people follow your career journey and best way to connect? Is it through LinkedIn? How can they find out about your, your book that's coming out as well? I, I really welcome any UWA student, UWA graduate, UWA alumni to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, and I have my own website, uh, www.pvenkatesh.com. I'll be really happy if you, uh, if you connect me through my website and my future career journey and my updates about the book would be available there. And I really uh, would uh, invite anyone who really wants to understand uh, how my journey in Australia and Perth was. And if they want to create their own career journey in India, I would really welcome them to connect to me. And I'd really be happy to take them through uh, what are the nitty gritties of living and working in India. So all of you, all the UW graduates, alumni and students, you're very, very welcome to India. Beautiful. I think it is really appreciated. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for downloading this podcast. And hopefully we've created some more in the near future. But Vinkatesh, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Yes. Thank you so much, Josh. Have a great day.